Literally the only girl he had ever been with just told him to leave the apartment that he paid for. So he snapped. He murdered her. And tells us that as he's running in front of these apartments, he saw a woman hanging from the trees in front of this apartment. And after she catches her breath a little, she tells me, I thought I had died. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised. Welcome back in, everyone. I'm your host, Chad. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. So brace yourself. This is Disturbed. As you may have noticed by now, we've updated our show artwork to a fresh new look for the new year. I hope you guys enjoy it, and feel free to let me know what you guys think on our hotline, 701-354-3667. Now our first experience comes with a warning. It contains some fairly graphic descriptions. It comes to us anonymously via email and contains a new story link for authenticity. Performing this experience is Nicole Doolin. Here's the story that has haunted my family since 1985. The backstory is a little long, but necessary for understanding the events of that day my dad's best friend became a murderer. My family is 99% immigrants. So when they moved to America, living in the inner city had the best means for survival. More jobs, other people who have also immigrated from the same places, and stores that solely sold 99 cent milk. My dad had his little group of five homies who had been friends since birth because their parents were all from the same area of Sicily. They did everything together holidays, neighborhood egg wars, pretty much all of the mischief that can be done when living in the outer bends of the Big Apple. My dad lived on a street that was strictly Sicilian immigrant families. The next street over were the immigrant families from Russia. Then the next street were the immigrant families from South America, etc. It was the inner city. So you stick to who you know, and if anyone tries to mess with you and your neighborhood gang... Then it would be its own little turf war, like a West Side story, without the coordinated dance moves and songs. So whenever these turf wars occurred, my dad would tell me that his one friend from their squad, we're going to call him F, was the guy you always wanted on your side for a fight. He was tough, had no mercy when it came to a fist fight, and was fiercely loyal to his friends, even when his friends were the ones who were being idiots. My dad always talked about how much of a good-looking group they were. All big, muscular Sicilian men who talked with a heavy New Jersey accent and didn't take shit from anyone. 
so naturally girls would always swoon over them. When they reached their prime ages of around 15 or 16 years old, they all started to get serious girlfriends. It was the 80s, so everyone was looking for their significant other at that point. Everyone in my dad's little friend group had boothangs, except for F. F wasn't as good with the ladies as the rest of them were, so he stayed single for the longest. My parents had been dating since then, so my mom would join occasionally. My mom's a feisty Colombian woman, so she fit right in with their tough demeanor. F worked at a garage, so all of the homies would hang out there. But when dinner time rolled around, everyone would dip to go get their girls, leaving him alone. Sometimes my dad would feel bad because F would have this look on his face when his friends would leave, pressuring my father to stay and hang out until closing. Him and my dad were the closest. Like I said, loyalty was one of their heavily practiced values. But when my father would leave to hang out with my mom, he always ended up coming back to the shop at some point because there would be something wrong with his car. The most common problem was a leaky tire. So my dad would call him up. They would crack a few beers, sit at the shop and patch up this damn leaky tire. As time went on, my parents started to get more serious. So he would spend more time with her and less time with F. F did not like this at all. He would get really jealous. My dad was aware that he was getting jealous. And coincidentally, his one leaky tire became more common and had to go to the garage more often, specifically the one that F worked at, because he wouldn't charge his homie for a quick tire repair. But this time, since it was more frequent, my dad started getting suspicious. One day, my dad woke up and got ready to pick up my mom for lunch and walked out to see his car missing. Freaking out, he called his little squad together to go out and look for his car and fight the guy who was responsible for taking his beloved Corvette. Long story short, they found the car in the next neighborhood over, so they assumed it was another turf thing. My dad, still suspicious of F and his actions, kept note of the missing car. On a Sunday afternoon right before they were going to play a game of neighborhood baseball with the other little squads around the town. F picked up my dad for lunch. They decided to stop at the convenience store beforehand to pick up snacks and beer. When my dad reached in the glove compartment to hand F his wallet, in there he found a sharp nail, a hammer, and little pieces of tire rubber stuck to the nail. So his suspicions came to life when he realized that his friend had been damaging his car on purpose to come hang out with him at the garage and ditch his girlfriend, my mom. My dad confronted F about this whole situation and F stayed silent and had no response. Nonetheless, their friendship became awkward and my dad distanced himself a bit. A few years later, F got his first girlfriend at 21 years old. Needless to say, he fell head over heels for her very quickly. Since he had been working at this garage since he was around 15 years old, he had a lot of money put away. And once things started to become more serious with his girlfriend of three months, he rented a beautiful, fully furnished apartment for them and her two kids from a previous relationship. He loved her, her kids and her mother, who they used to play bingo with every Friday night. A few days before Christmas, his girlfriend dropped the bomb on him. 
She told him he needed to leave the apartment as soon as possible because her baby daddy was getting out of jail in two weeks and he had no idea F existed, let alone that they were living together. He became enraged. He was confused, upset, and filled with emotions. Literally, the only girl he had ever been with just told him to leave the apartment that he paid for. So he snapped. And so, he murdered her. He beat her in the bathroom with a toy car in the head until she wasn't breathing. He murdered her 20-month-old son, drowned him until he was unconscious. Thinking that the baby was dead, he left him on the couch while he wrapped up his now-dead girlfriend in a garbage bag and threw her into the garbage dumpster right outside of the window. He turned to the kid to throw him in next, but he was still alive. He took the still-breathing kid, brought him to the nearby railroad track, placed him underneath a thick piece of plywood, and left him there to die. Shortly after he had committed these murders, he washed his hands and headed over to her mother's house to play their Friday night bingo games. He got there, said hello to his girlfriend's oldest daughter and his girlfriend's mother. They started to play bingo. The mother kept asking F where her daughter was and if she was going to make it in time for dinner. He just kept responding, I don't know, acting clueless and enjoying his game of bingo. When her family truly realized she and the youngest son were missing, they went over to the apartment. Her dad peeped in the window and noticed the floor covered in blood. So he kicked the door in, revealing this brutal murder scene, with the daughter and son nowhere to be found. Promptly, they called the police, and eventually they found the body in the garbage dumpster outside of the apartment. They didn't find the son's body until shortly after F's arraignment. F received two life sentences. However, he studied a bunch of law books in jail, hired a new attorney, and got his two life sentences down to one life sentence and his one-life sentence down to a 50-year sentence, and then down again to a 30-year sentence. How he did that? I don't know. I'm a paralegal right now, and I still have no idea what the hell he did. My dad found this out a few days after everything had happened, when he was working at the local grocery store stacking the newspapers. My dad was shook. His childhood best friend was a murderer, they wrote letters in jail for a few years. My dad sent him pictures of the new family he was growing and never asked why he did the things he did. After a few years of keeping in touch, F asked my father to stop writing and to never visit him. He was aware that his actions were wrong and he wanted to sit in jail alone, not feeling forgiveness from anyone. He was released in the beginning of 2019 and was deported back to Sicily. He reached out to my dad and their little squad from the 80s via Facebook and apologized to them. My dad was the only one to answer him. And then there's this. 20 years after the murder, my mom's brother, H, was at a company Christmas party near their hometown. H worked at my other uncle's family business, so a lot of the employees were people from their hometown. H noticed a pretty girl looking awkward at the bar with his friend so he went over and introduced himself, and they got to talking about life. After putting down a few drinks, H asked about her family since she was from their hometown. 
This lady talks about how her mother and baby brother were murdered by her mother's boyfriend at the time. And she was raised by her grandmother because her father was in and out of jail. Wild, right? Yeah. My uncle dipped as fast as he could when he realized who she was talking about. Moral of the story? You can pick your friends, but you can't pick if your best friend becomes a murderer. A huge thank you to our newest Patreon members, whose contributions help keep the show running smoothly. Kristen Buchanan, Dallas, Bonnie Jameson, Matt Sakia, Joshua LeBlanc, Linda, Ethan Soblin, Nick, Crystal H, and Stephanie. Thanks so much for supporting the show. They're all enjoying an ad-free listening experience, early access, and our bonus series of disturbing calls. Six bonus episodes await all Patreon members and are available to binge right now. Visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast to join today. Next up, we hear from a Reddit user who prefers to remain anonymous. And what started out as a normal jog ended up with a death. And join me in welcoming our newest narrator to the show, Matt Bradford. About five years ago, I was living at home with my parents and my twin brother was there too. Every morning at about 7am, we would both head out for a run. We had mapped out this giant loop that we would run, and to make it a bit of a competition, I would run it in one direction and my twin would run in the other direction. That way we could both run and stay focused. A part of this loop was on the main street of the city my parents live in. On this main road, there were these shady apartments kind of hidden by a bunch of trees. The direction I was running, the view of these apartments was obscured by a giant hedge bush, and I couldn't see the apartments until I was right in front of them. Out of my peripherals, I see a woman standing among the trees, staring at me. I immediately get the chills and do not turn to face her because I didn't want to be rude. So I run on and forget about this a few minutes later. I pass my twin about 10 minutes later. He's going in the opposite direction as I. I get home and my twin isn't back yet, so I go about the rest of my morning routine, including taking a shower. I get out of the shower and my twin hasn't come back yet, and I'm starting to get a bit worried. An hour after I'd gotten home, he's still not back, and I call him. He tells me he's on his way back, and he has something he needs to tell me and my parents. He finally gets home and tells us that as he's running in front of these apartments, he saw a woman hanging from the trees in front of this apartment. As soon as it's obvious he's seen her, a man comes sprinting from the apartments, wailing and screaming, No, I can't believe she did this, and grabs her body and lays her on the ground and starts performing CPR. It's obvious that he is her husband. My brother calls the local police and they dispatch an ambulance and police officers. My brother has to stay for questioning and a witness report and all that jazz. He is obviously troubled by it. Since he was going the opposite way that I was running, he didn't have a hedge obscuring his view and got a straight-on view of this woman hanging there. It's still hard for me to believe that the woman I saw staring at me out of my peripherals was dead the entire time. 
I do find it very sketchy that the husband came running out as soon as it was obvious that someone had discovered the body. That is a bit too convenient if you ask me. But I don't want to say this man killed his wife without any evidence. My brother has never followed up with the police, leading me to believe that death was ruled out as a suicide. I just still can't fathom that if I would have turned to face this woman, I would have discovered her about 20 minutes earlier than my twin had, and it deeply troubles me that I didn't. We've all been put in uncomfortable situations. Normally, you think you can trust those close to your family. But as Reddit user BipPip found out, not everyone is so trustworthy. Performing this experience is Addison Peacock. Some backstory. My parents split when I was about 14. It wasn't a good breakup. My dad was an abusive drug addict, so when my mom left him, she was in a really bad place. Her and my older sister, sister was in her 20s and in full-blown party mode, kept taking her to local bars since my mom was depressed. This led my mom to becoming an alcoholic since my sister was well on her way to becoming one too. During one of these nights, she met a guy. I didn't know much about him just that they met him and his brother at a bar and now she was dating him. It went pretty fast and my sister would flirt with the brother to get free food and drinks from him. Around this time, I was about 15 and this dude just seemed off. He was probably early 40s or so and he was always going on my mom's dates with his brother. He just kind of hung around a lot. One day my sister decided she wanted sushi and called the brother up to take us because she knew he would pay. I did not want to go, but we didn't have food in the house and I was hungry. We didn't have a sushi place in our town, so we had to drive to the city, which was about 30 minutes away. The entire ride, I just had this warning feeling in my stomach that kept telling me to get out of the car, that this was a bad idea. I was a giant ball of anxiety the whole 30 minutes. My sister sat in the front seat, completely oblivious to what was happening. Meanwhile, I kept catching him staring at me in the rearview mirror. Once we got to the restaurant, he sat himself directly across from me. He wanted to sit next to me, but I rushed to sit next to my sister instead. It was awkward, but my sister talked a lot, so I was kind of able to hide. Eventually, she got up to go to the bathroom, and then I was alone with him. Almost immediately, he asked me if I had a boyfriend, and I said no. That's good, he said. You're too good for high school boys. They're only after one thing. I just nodded, not knowing what to say. He then went on to ask if I liked Disneyland, and I said yes. He got excited and went on about how he would take me, but hotels were expensive, so we'd have to share a room. It would just be us, so my mom and his brother could be alone. He said my sister couldn't come, though, because he couldn't afford to pay for both of us to go. At this point, I was extremely uncomfortable and I just wanted my sister to come back. She finally did and he switched to just talking to her. 
She didn't notice anything was wrong or that he kept looking at me. Once we finished, he took us home and invited himself in. I went to my room, locked the door, and hid. At one point, someone tried to open the door, but they stopped once they felt it was locked. My mom and her boyfriend came back home around then. I tried talking to my sister, but she brushed me off. They had invited us back to their house, and I wanted so badly to stay home, but they forced me to go. Almost immediately, my mom and her boyfriend went to the room and left my sister and I with him. He got my sister drunk pretty fast and tried to get me to drink, but I kept refusing. It got to the point where my sister was almost blacked out drunk, and I was freaking out because once she passed out, it would just be us. I started texting my brothers, hoping one of them would pick me up. Thank God my eldest brother responded. I told him what was happening, and he came to get me. He showed up and told the guy that it was late and I had school, so he was taking me home. He tried to protest, but my brother was very firm about it. He loaded my sister in the car, texted my mom he was taking us home, and then we left. My brother didn't live with us since he was about 30 at the time and had his own family, so he didn't know what was going on. I told him the full story, and he got real quiet, and then waited until my mom got home. He told her off, shamed her for putting me in that situation, and told her that if it continued, he would move me into his house. My mom broke down then and told him she wanted to break up with her boyfriend because of his brother. I found out when I was older that he would sneak by the door to listen to them when they had sex. I think more happened, but my mom never talked about it more than that. She broke up with him, got a good job, and sobered up with the help of my brother. It took my sister a lot longer, but she eventually got her life together. So, the creepy brother of my mom's ex-boyfriend? Let's not meet again. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder 
All this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. A glitch in the matrix. When something happens that perhaps pulls back the veil on a true reality that maybe we can't perceive. Reddit user Karma Doesn't Matter unknowingly became the background character in someone else's glitch story. Performing this experience is Tom Aglio. This technically happened last night, but I was just starting a graveyard shift and I'm only now getting it all down. I work at a gas station chain with only numbers in its name. We're just outside a large chunk of suburbs, none of that middle of nowhere, like we aren't exactly near any other businesses, but we are rarely completely dead for hours at a time. It was just past midnight and with everything going on in the US right now, not a lot of things other than gas stations and bars are open at night anymore, so it was a slower evening. I was the only one in the store and a car pulled up to one of the two double-sided pumps out front. Pretty standard white four-door, I'm not great with car brands, but it was a little nicer, like upper middle class and probably only a few years old. A woman gets out and starts walking towards our door like she's in a daze. Legit, this woman looked like she saw a ghost. She wanders up, sort of freezes at the door for a second with a thousand-yard stare before opening it and coming in. She didn't go looking for anything, didn't start shopping, just sort of stood inside for what felt like ages. Again, bars are still open, so I think maybe she's a little drunk or had a rough night or something. So I give the usual welcome to gas station, let me know if you need any help finding anything. And she finally notices me and immediately asks me the weirdest damn question I have ever been asked on the job. You can see me, right? Yeah, like what else do you say? She breaks down crying in the middle of my store, so I'm already headed around the corner to see what's up. I have my cell phone out in case I need to call the cops or something for her. I get her to sit down on a nearby pallet of soda, and I'm grabbing her a bottle of water. And after she catches her breath a little, she tells me, I thought I had died. Again, I'm thinking maybe she's on something, but she's a middle-aged woman who looks like a standard local suburban housewife. We're a pretty boring township without your average junkies like you'd find closer to the cities. So she asks if she can call her husband to pick her up and wait with me. She has her own phone and does so. 
not really telling him anything either, just where she's at and if he can come get her. He says he'll call an Uber and be there as soon as possible. We're waiting. So far, nobody else has showed up, so I'm keeping most of my attention on her. And eventually, she starts to explain to me. I was driving home from dinner with my coworkers, and as I'm driving through nearby intersection I recognized, a truck ran a red light and hit me. Now, her car is still at the pump without a scratch on it. She goes on to say she remembers her car being pushed into a pole, going airborne, and then nothing. I tried to calm her down, letting her know that her car is out front and it looks fine. But she insisted that she completely blacked out, woke up in an ambulance for a split second, passed out again, and then woke up again in the driver's seat of her car, at the intersection waiting for the light to change perfectly fine. This whole thing freaked her out so badly that she drove to the nearest anything, us, just so she could get out of the car. Husband eventually showed up to get her. He asked if I had any idea what happened, and even though she sort of explained to me, I just shrugged because, no, I had no idea what was happening anymore. She reluctantly got into the passenger seat of the car, and he drove them back home. That was hours ago, after which I worked an entire shift at the station, trying to wrap my head around what the absolute hell I had just witnessed. Disturbed is a Disturbed Media original podcast. Musical score by White Bat Audio, Co.ag, and Kevin Hartnell. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.